Welcome to the Last Call podcast. My name is Marissa Whitaker, and I'm the prevention educator at SUNY Cortland. And my name is Sarah McGowan. I'm the assistant director of student health and wellness at Onondaga Community College. Our jobs are to educate students about potential risks associated with substance use. We approach substance use from a neutral stance, and our episodes are rooted in public health with a focus on science and harm reduction. In today's episode of Weed 101, we are going to be doing a deep dive into all things cannabis. Maris, do you want to start us off today? Like Sarah said, all things cannabis come from the cannabis sativa plant. So within that, there are subspecies under the cannabis umbrella. So there's cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and cannabis ruderalis. So the appearance and the characteristics and even the effects from each plant vary within each subspecies. So the sativas tend to have that more uplifting and euphoric effect, indicas more sedative, and actually ruderalis, probably not something many people have heard of, that actually produces low and almost non-existent levels of THC, and it's a poor yield in terms of crops. So that's not typically grown. When I'm talking to you know, college students or other professionals, ways that I, you know, have them think of each one and ways to remember. So for sativa, um, I have them think of S for stimulant. So typically sativas, like you said, have more uplifting or euphoric properties. And then indica, a way that you can think of that is indica, typically people are in the couch or they're kind of, you know, lazy, um, more relaxed. And those, you know, depending on the type of high that people are looking for, they tend to lean towards one strand or the other. And then we also have hybrid, which is a combination of, you know, both of the two. And so that's, that's a good segue into where I'm going next is within those subspecies, the indicas and sativas, there's different strains. So I always find this really interesting when people are like, yo, this is lemon haze. I'm like, did you do like a CSI analysis? I mean, we don't know the 100% strain profile of OG Kush. So when people have these different strains, I kind of think of it like genealogy. Like you might think you're 100% Italian, but that day that you find out you're only 85%, cannabis strains are sort of like that too. So there's not one thing that's 100% pure, um, you know, within that cannabinoid profile. Again, you know, your drug dealer telling you that this is an OG Kush, they could just be calling anything OG Kush. That doesn't mean that it's actually that. Very good point. And we can't develop accurate profiles to what these strains are or really even accurate dosing until there's a regulated and tested cannabis market. And you can't have regulated cannabis with how it's currently scheduled as a Schedule One drug. Tell me a little more, Sarah, what is the FDA's role in this process? the FDA has not approved the cannabis plant for any medical use. Specifically, there hasn't been a lot of research done on the cannabis that's available today, you know, in the legalized market. So it's really interesting when you think about, you know, the high potency THC that we have now and all of the various forms and the lack of research that has been done around, you know, not only long-term effects, but short-term effects that these more potent THC products have and could have, you know, in the future. So it's, you know, when we think about the medicinal market, there have only been two cannabis-containing drugs that have been approved medically for conditions like cancer um, or ep epilepsy. 
It's also important to look at the marketing that the cannabis industry does. They do a really great job marketing cannabis for every single condition out there from migraines to depression to seizures. But again, there hasn't been enough medical research done on these things to truly say that using cannabis can help versus hurt. And, you know, that's not to say that it may not help with these situations, but just what you said, Sarah, until there's enough research done to say anything either way. And actually, here's a really cool recommendation. Have you ever seen or heard of the show Explained on Netflix? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one. It's it's in the first season. It, it's on weed. And it was so interesting. And they cover a lot of the things that we just talked about. I really recommend that to people to uh, listen to. One thing that I just kind of wanted to add, Marissa, and you know, and I know that you've you've said this quite a bit, but with any medicine that you're taking, you know, I think a lot of the time we hear weed's a plant, it's not bad for you. What's the worst that it can do? So if you're thinking of, you know, weed as a plant or like medicine, that might be fine. But with any medication that you're taking, you're outweighing that the pros will benefit you versus the cons that could come from taking that medication. So again, it's always important to kind of think through all of that completely. You know, you might be taking this as medicine, but what are what are the consequences that could potentially come come from that? Yo, that's so true. Like all medicines have side effects, whether that's Advil that you're taking, antidepressants, weed too. So, you know, yes, it could be used medicinally to help some people, but that person has to take a look at some of those side effects and how does that interact with their life? Um, so next, I guess we'll kind of jump into uh, cannabinoids. So it's really interesting um, because cannabinoid receptors are naturally found um, in the body. So that's the first thing to kind of think about. And there are over um, 100 plus cannabinoids, but we most often hear about THC and CBD. So for the most part, other cannabinoids don't get you high. So THC stands for tetrahydrocannabinol, which is a psychoactive component uh, that makes you feel high. CBD stands for cannabidiol, and it's a non-psychoactive, almost anti-psychoactive. So CBD in the correct form will not get you high. THC, kind of the whole euphoric type high feeling. There's also synthetic uh, cannabinoids, so that could be pens, concentrates, even Delta-8. And it's interesting when we think about, you know, synthetics, it is sold a lot of the time, you know, in gas stations or other places, but it, what it is is it's potpourri and it's sprayed with different types of chemicals that can that are very inconsistent containing ingredients. So you could have two packages of the same exact type of synthetic, but inside they're chemically completely different. They're not regulated very unsafe. The chemicals are, are being changed constantly and you have no idea what's been done to to those synthetics. Yeah. So that's not to say smoke all the weed that you want if it's not a synthetic, but on a lot of levels from a harm reduction standpoint, synthetics are a lot more dangerous than cannabis that is occurring naturally. You know, one thing that we did talk about a little bit earlier was, you know, marketing and the marketing that they're doing for synthetics is really kind of scary because they're marketing it with things that really appeal to kids, like pictures of cartoons. Right. They're named after cereals. Like, do you think that Lucky Charms is in cahoots with the weed industry, heart healthy Cheerios? If there's something that, especially from a trademark point of view, you're not going to have those Mario carts. That's not legit. Like, do you think Nintendo, again, has money into the weed industry and they're putting out synthetic cartridges? 
Absolutely. And you bring up another really good point about, you know, cartridges. When you think that you're consuming concentrates, you know, on a vape pen, where did that cartridge come from and what exactly is in it? You know, this is kind of a reoccurring theme that we do talk about, you know, on our podcast, but you don't know what's in any drug you take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I do, I ask students, I'm like, do you know where your drugs come from? And I get a side eye a lot. I'm like, I'm not asking for anyone's name, but do you know where they got it and where did that person get it and how far up the chain does it go? Do you know where your where your weed comes from? Yeah. So kind of going along with what we just talked about, Tumores, in terms of synthetic, there is a new uh, type of, we'll say, cannabis product that is becoming more and more widely available, and it's Delta 8. And it's really interesting because right now, even though cannabis is legal in New York, like we've talked about, you still can't really sell it, but people are finding loopholes and selling Delta 8 in places where they're selling CBD. So when we think about Delta Delta 8. Delta 8 has been marketed as is like a diet weed. So people say that Delta 8 is supposed to be less potent than traditional cannabis compound Delta 9. Just as Sarah said, that legalization can be really hazy and that's a huge risk, especially because you're getting an unregulated product, something that's not been tested on. I've got to admit I'm super into cannabis research and it seems like out of nowhere, Delta 8 has been available overnight. And that's not to say we had never heard of Delta 8 before, but it definitely hasn't been as accessible um, and available to people. It's really interesting too, Marissa, and I don't know if you've seen this kind of where where you live and around your area, but CBD stores have been popping up everywhere, and you don't find very many that are actually third-party lab testing the products that they're selling. So when you're telling people that they're getting, you know, the healing properties of CBD, unless you actually see a third-party lab test, that CBD could be, you know, nothing and could have none of the healing properties that you're looking for or intending when you're consuming those products that that place is selling. And that takes away from the legitimate medical advances that cannabis is making for people that have found benefits from it. So when you can get CBD at like the tanning salon, as well as the dollar store, as well as your local laundromat, like that's also problematic and not an effective way to be changing what perceptions are around the medical use of cannabis. It's really interesting too. So just for, you know, research type purposes, I've gone into several of the CBD stores that are located around where I live. And even, you know, talking to the different workers about dosing and what they believe should be, you know, the correct dosing amount varies so much. And you truly wonder, you know, the type of education that these people are receiving in order to give, you know, help to others about treating certain specific conditions. Like these aren't doctors working in these places. These are salespeople trying to sell you as much of a product as they possibly can. It's a business partnership, not necessarily a medical dispensary where you're having people trained with cannabis knowledge and, you know, dosing with people. Um, so we've just talked extensively about some of the science of cannabis. So let's talk a little bit about some of the ways that it's consumed. So we have, you know, the most obvious ways that people smoke weed. Um, someone can also vape it. So they could vape the flower or the buds, but they can also be vaping the concentrates. So that's where you have like your dab rigs, uh, your THC pens. That's typically vaping concentrates. 
People can also take it sublingually or under the tongue, and that's used a lot for people that use it for medicinal reasons, um, maybe that have some mobility um, limitations, and so it's used a lot that way. And also for a lot of medicinal consumers, they use it transdermally, so as a patch onto the skin. And so with all the different ways that people can use cannabis, I think we have to change how we talk about it too. Because you could ask someone, do you smoke weed? And they say, no, like not at all. But they could be vaping it or they could be taking edibles. So as the ways that people can use cannabis changes, I think the dialogue around it has to change too. So Sarah, tell us a little about edibles. Sure, Maria. So um, edibles are becoming kind of more and more popular. And it's really interesting when we think of edibles um, you know, in, in the legalized market that have been doing it for a while, I think you can assume that you're getting more accurate type of dosing, but it's also important to think of, you know, the non-legalized market and how accurate right now, especially in New York state, um, the dosing of those edibles are. So, you know, we've kind of talked about, you know, harm reduction from, from an edible, you know, standpoint, but a lot of the time, the serving size of edibles is not really accurate to the way that people would actually consume the product. So you have a whole cookie and the whole cookie contains, you know, 100, we'll say 100 milligrams of THC. So typically most people would not want to consume 100 milligrams of THC at one time. So you're supposed to, in theory, cut up that cookie into we'll say 10 different pieces. Now, I don't know about all of you, but the last time I ate a cookie, I didn't cut it up into 10 different pieces and make sure that every piece was specially portioned out to give me the exact serving size that I was looking for. People don't really eat like that. Um, and they don't think of serving sizes of you know any, any food type of product in that way. So if you have a Hershey bar, you don't typically just eat one square of a Hershey bar. You eat the whole Hershey bar. So when thinking about edibles, that's also a big deal and, and something that people don't always understand. If you're making it at home, that also adds a different aspect because you don't know how much THC is in, you know, every piece or every bite of the brownie that you're consuming. And you try to do the best job that you possibly can. And also the other interesting thing about edibles is that um, it takes longer for it to kick in in your system. So people end up consuming more because they want the same effects that they feel when they smoke weed, which is it's instantaneous and you feel the effects almost immediately. With consuming edibles, it takes longer for it to kick in. And so you're waiting for that high, waiting for that high. And you're like, let me just consume more. And by the time you're actually feeling the effects... Now you've consumed more probably than you should have. And then that will kick in even later. And that's all because the body metabolizes or breaks down edibles differently than it breaks down THC that's combustible or smoked. So I'm glad that you just broke it down like that. That was very helpful for people who may be edible consumers. One other thing that I just kind of wanted to throw out to Maris is that it's really interesting when you look at the legalized market um, because there are so many additional products that have come onto the market that contain, you know, THC or CBD type products. And one of the things that I found interesting is that now there's even like a THC containing makeup primer. So it's like <laughs> ways that you wouldn't even think, <laughs> think to use cannabis are just popping up onto the market, I think, because it's like a hot product and people are interested. So you know. Oh my God. By the time you get to your mascara, like, it's, uh, is that found at Ulta? I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
God. Cool. So to sum everything up, cannabis is always changing. It's a very complex substance and we're learning more information all the time. So yes, there's a lot of really fascinating research out there, but there really needs to be more research to be sure that we're positive about the precise effects of cannabis. As a lot of information from the 70s and 80s about cannabis is very outdated and has changed, I'm really curious to see how accurate this information will be in another five or 10 years as we're learning more things. So one thing I love about this job is it's always changing. So to to be continued as far as cannabis goes. Absolutely. And I think to be, you know, relevant and good at your job in this field, it's important to stay up on things like the research and, you know, the up and coming trends. So while we may have covered, you know, only a tiny bit of the whole picture, this is kind of what what we look at as being the most important and most relevant in our field currently. So thank you all so much for joining us on this episode and we will see you next week. Bye.